Our scripture this morning comes from Psalm 122, and if you'd like to read along, it's found in your bulletin. As you recall, we're continuing our Psalms of Ascent, these Psalms in which a pilgrim is taking a journey from his hometown to Jerusalem, and it's a series of Psalms focused on God's people going to worship with him. And this is the Psalm in which they finally arrive, they finally enter Jerusalem, and here in the Psalm, you can see the joy that the pilgrim has of finally arriving. So as I read, I want you to reflect on the past two psalms that we've previously studied, the journey that the pilgrims had to take, and the feeling of having finally arrived. Hear God's word. I rejoice with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There the thrones for judgment stand, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will pray for your prosperity. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us this word this morning to bring us peace, security, comfort, and care, and ultimately joy. We pray as we read about your word, read about a pilgrim's journey, that we can enter into that journey as well, that we can see the joy we can have in you and rest in it. In your name, amen. I was in a funk this week. I, I don't know what it was. It might have been a mess of the previous week in the news. It might even be the most recent attack in France. It might be the fact that I'm a little nervous taking a bunch of students to North Carolina um, to a place that I've never been. I'm very someone who likes to know where I'm going and where everything is and everything needs its place. Maybe you were off a little this week wrestling with a world that seems to be descending into chaos. Maybe you're struggling with a loneliness that doesn't seem to go away. And the mess for me became very evident when I read this psalm and thought, if only I could go on vacation, if only I could travel to Jerusalem, if only I could be with a, the holiness and majesty of a nation gathered together to worship the Lord, an entire nation, then maybe I could have the joy the security, and the peace that the pilgrim declares to us. Now, I know, and, and you know, that this psalm is not a billboard saying, come visit Jerusalem. It's actually encouraging us to say that we can experience the same joy, security, and peace that the pilgrim declares. And in the midst of everything going on in the country, in our jobs, in our personal lives, we can look at the psalm, and see three key ways in which the pilgrim is proclaiming his joy, his security, and his peace. He's going to point to us the joy he feels in the festival of thanksgiving. He's going to place his security and call for justice in the promises of God. And finally, he's going to pray for peace. And that prayer is going to come true. So let us take the journey that the pilgrim's inviting us to go on and find the joy, security, and peace in the Lord. So first... How do we find the same joy that the pilgrim has? 
It's the joy of arrival into the city that the pilgrim set, starts out with. This spellbounding, overpowering, glorious sight of the city in which the pilgrim is elated, is joyous. And if we recall, the last two Psalms called on the Lord to deliver the pilgrim from deceit and to protect him on his journey. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And these prayers have been answered. The journey is nearly complete. And as they stand on the edge of the city, they are overtaken by the beauty and the glory of the city. They've gone from trials to hazards to dangers, and now they've arrived. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, why were they traveling to Jerusalem in the first place? It was for these festivals and holy days. And the one festival that we can usually comes to mind when we think of the Israelite people is Passover. It's the time of the year when the people would celebrate their liberation by God from the slavery of Egypt. And they would come together to remember God's act of redemption, of God's clear superiority and demonstration of his ultimate, his God above all gods, above the false gods of Egypt. And the people would observe the Passover, not just as a remembrance of what was happening, but an ongoing participation in this act of redemption. So what feeling or mentality does the pilgrim have entering Jerusalem at this time? It's one of joy, but it stems from thanksgiving. The people would go up and participate in the Passover, but the Passover would point to the thankfulness that God has delivered them and will continue to protect them. Now, pagans at that time, they would have festivals and feasts to create unity in their nation. So they would come together and say, hey, we're, we're still going to protect each other, right? If we, if we get attacked, you're going to come help us. It was either that or they would come and they would make sacrifices to their false gods and say, if I do the right act, if I do the right actions, if I make sacrifices, you're going to give me prosperity and wealth, right? Like, you're going to give me money. And the pagans, they would go to prosper for the future. They would go and try to build their wealth up in their actions. But God's people isn't like that. Their hope isn't in their actions. Their hope isn't in the prosperity of the future, but they're actually looking backwards. They already have their hope. They don't need to perform. Instead, they get to go to the Passover and remember everything and thank God for delivering them from Egypt, from rescuing from the slavery of Egypt and delivering them to the promised land. So the pilgrimage was one of thankfulness. So why does the pilgrim have so much joy? It's because he's reflecting on everything that God has done in his nation's history. And not only that, he gets to now reflect on everything that God has done in his life. He gets to say, you have brought me to the city, the place where I get to come and be in your presence. So when the pilgrim goes to the Passover with a heart of thanksgiving, he's able to reflect on everything God has done in his life and find the joy that's so evident in this psalm. Now, if you just started dating, or even if you just got married, you end up telling a lot of stories to the person you're dating or the person you married. You're still getting to know one another, so you share stories that make you who you are. And there are sad stories, and there are the funny stories, the ones that you guys get to laugh a lot about. 
And then there's the stories that bring you deep, deep joy. And those, those stories are the ones that profoundly shape you. And over and over and over again, you share the ones, the stories that bring you the most joy, and typically those are the stories of thankfulness. When I reflect on the stories of my life to my wife, Catherine, I don't share random stories of things that brought me small amounts of joy. I don't say to her, I remember a few years ago, I got my car washed, and it was awesome. I mean, it was so dirty, and it got so clean. I mean, the Taco Bell wrappers were cleaned out. It's had that new car smell. I mean, it looked brand new. And if I told that story to Catherine, she would probably go, okay, so? <laughs> she, it would be like, why would I share? We, we don't share those stories because the thankfulness and joy that I got from my car being washed is fleeing. But the stories that I share over and over and over again are the ones where God is most evident, where I am most thankful, when I needed the most rescue, redemption, and grace. And I have to laugh because I asked my wife, what is, what is one story that I share over and over and over again to you? And it's actually a story that I've already shared with some of you um, if you were here when I was interviewing. And it's the story that when I was in high school, I wasn't a great student. I was a, a B or, or C student, um, and I was, I was quite the slacker. And um, when college application time rolled around, uh, I was a slacker there too. And I applied to only two schools the last day that applications were accepted. Um, so it was late June, late July, um, and fall semester's coming. So I applied to two schools. One school is St. John's University in New York City, and the other one was a local school in Rochester, New York, where I grew up. And a week after I applied, I got accepted to St. John's with a scholarship. And way more than a, a, a much larger scholarship than I ever expected way more above than what we said the minimum was in order for me to go. So at that point, my family said, okay, well, that's enough money. Like, you can go. We can afford it. And a week after that, I got a letter from the local school, which I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a shoe in I'm going to get a lot of money from it. I got nothing. I got no money at all. And it would have been more expensive for me to stay in Rochester than go to New York. And why do I share that story over and over and over again it's because it brings me joy. It reminds me of how lost I was, how I had failed at the opportunities that God had given me, and yet he delivered me. He showed me his grace. He opened a door that under no logical human expectations that I had, or even I don't even understand why I received the scholarship, but he showed me his grace. He brought me now to this place, standing right here, becoming a pastor, even though I don't think I deserved what I got. I find joy sharing that story because it's one of thankfulness and the provision of God in my life. And that's the same with the pilgrims. Is it's one of thankfulness. We shouldn't have been released from slavery from Egypt. We shouldn't have made it through the desert. We should have died there. And we shouldn't have the land we have now conquering our enemies. It's one of thankfulness that the, the pilgrim gets to go up and have this overwhelming sense of joy. So what stories do you have of thankfulness? Most of us would admit that we should not be here right now. If our lives were based on our actions, our results, our, our works, we would not be here. But God, in all his mercy, in all his grace, 
in all his caring for his people, for us, he brought us here right now. He brought us to the point of understanding his salvation. And if you want the same joy that the pilgrim has in the psalm, reflect on your most thankful times, on the times when God, his work, his grace, his love, his redemption was most evident in your life. And let me encourage you to share them with others today. It's because it's that thankfulness that produces the joy in the pilgrim, not Jerusalem itself, not just at the arrival, but God's faithfulness to him and his people. God has been faithful to you. Look for those stories in your life. And with the pilgrim full of joy because of his thankfulness to the Lord, he moves on finding security and justice in his journey. The pilgrim points to security and justice in the city when he states, Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stands the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. This psalm is attributed to David. So David wrote it, but clearly he's, he's writing it from a pilgrim's perspective of people going on pilgrimage. So the pilgrim starts by marveling at the fortifications of the city. He mentions the city and the security it provides, but he does not end there. And now this is where David's perspective is most important to note. What is something that David will always have in the front of his mind when he talks about the thrones of David? When he writes the last verse that we just read, there stands the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. As another translation puts it, the thrones of judgment are set. Even though David is talking from a pilgrim's perspective, he's recalling the promises that God made to him in 2 Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." forever, forever, never-ending, the thrones for judgment are set. Here, David, through a pilgrim's perspective, is reflecting on the continual and everlasting promise that God has given to his people, that the house of David will reign forever. God has already fulfilled his promise to bring forth his people from Egypt, and now he, his promise will come true to bring the offspring of David a king who will bring security and justice to the people, the one who will make all things right. The pilgrim gets to marvel at the fortifications of the city, but it's not the city walls itself that he puts his security in. No, it's actually his true and main focus is that this will be the place, this will be the location that the son of David will reign and rule and defeat our enemies and we will become a great and powerful people of God. And his security And hope for justice is found in the promises that God gives his people. So the question for you is, is where do you put your security? We get stuck when we put our security in the fortifications that we build in our own lives. It might be your house. It might be your 401k retirement plan. It could be in the success of your children. It could be in the presidential nominees. And you can point and you can say, this is my protection. This is my security. This will make me okay. This will keep me safe.
but God's not encouraging us to do that. We get to go to the same place as the pilgrim, the promises of God for his people. And God's promises are all throughout Scripture. And if you want real security, you want real justice, look to God's promises. That he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the plague that destroys at midday. And hear the promise that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will provide a way out so you can endure it. And the promise that one day everything will be complete, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. God calls us not to place our security in things, our hope for justice in the government, in the structures that we create. Instead, he calls us to place our security in the promises that he has given us. It is a never-failing, never-ending promise that God gives us in the security of a world that seems so unstable. The stability of security in our lives comes from God's promises alone. And we've seen now the journey so far that the pilgrim has presented a joy in his thanksgiving of God's redemption. We've seen the security and justice the pilgrim finds in God's promises. And in his closing remarks, he calls for peace. The pilgrim repeats the call for peace three times. Now the famous word in the Hebrew language is shalom, which is translated here as peace. Now shalom does mean peace, but it's, it's more encompassing than that. It's an all-encompassing word that means wholeness and health and well-being and prosperity and fullness. The shalom of Jerusalem, the shalom of the people, the shalom of God. And this is not just a call for the community to get along. It's not just a call sort of like the pagans did of, hey, we're still buddies. It's actually a call for the people's relationship to be whole with one another. Not just allies, but real, personal, intimate wholeness with each other. And more importantly than that, it's a call for the people and their God to be whole together, to be full, to be peace, to be shalom. And it's a call for the peace, for the temple where the very presence of God is in the midst of his people. And the pilgrim here is declaring that there's going to be an ongoing peace between the nations, between the tribes, between the people. And we see that the goal, the desire, the hope, the the call is for prosperity and peace between the people's relationship and God. But if you know where the story is headed, the pilgrim's prayer for peace doesn't come true. The nation of Israel will soon enter a civil war where two nations will be formed and they will no longer worship together. There will no longer be pilgrimages to Jerusalem by the whole nation. And eventually Jerusalem will be destroyed and taken over by the Babylonians. And the people will be taken into exile. And eventually the relationship between God and his people will be at its worst when Jesus Christ is hung on the cross. The very son of David that was promised to bring security and justice to his people is now put 
to an unjust trial and execution. So it looks like the prayers for peace have failed. And you say, that can't be right. God promised security and God answers prayers. So what happened? Well, this whole time, the pilgrim has been pointing us to say that it's not just about Jerusalem itself. It's not just about one city in the entire world. It's not about the joy the pilgrim has of seeing the city. That's just a signpost to the deeper joy the pilgrim has in his thankfulness of a God who saves. It's not about just the security of one city and the walls and the fortifications that it builds, but it's a never-ending security of God's promises. And finally, it's not just the peace of Jerusalem. One city in the entire world, it's actually about the peace, uh, the shalom between God and his people and his creation. And this is the prayer that came true. The prayer for peace came true, and it came through God's promise, the one we spoke of earlier, of David's seed, of the man who will bring security and justice and peace to the people, and that person was Jesus Christ. The point of the pilgrimage was to be in the very presence of God, to be in right relationship with God, and that prayer came true. The prayer to spread peace, spread shalom throughout all the land, And it's come true. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to make sacrifices to be in God's presence and to be in right relationship with God. Instead, we get the joy, security, and peace of God right here and right now. And Jesus Christ was the bearer of that peace. And during a Passover when the pilgrims were going to Jerusalem, Jesus Christ entered with them. And on the final night before his death, again, during the Passover, Jesus declared, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father and the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus brought peace between God and his creation by keeping a perfect obedience that we cannot keep and by sacrificing and dying on the cross, the death that we deserved. And this is the basis in which God's peace extends to the whole world. Us sitting in this room right now, those who have been adopted into God's family, God says, you are my sons and daughters whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And that is the peace that we've all longed for and now have received to be fully known, all our failures, all our shame, all our sin, and to still have peace with God? That doesn't seem right. But that was the prayer of the pilgrim, to have shalom with God, to have fullness, to be able to be in relationship with him. And that's the glorious peace that we get to see. So you want joy? You want joy that the pilgrim feels? Remember to reflect on everything that God has done in your life with thankfulness. You want to find security? Look for the security that God has given in his promises. You want peace? Continue to pray for peace. 
God who brought peace when everything seemed lost has promised to continue to bring peace through the work of the gospel in the world. And as we go out today, I, I don't know what chaos in the world might come. But if, if you believe in the gospel, then you have to believe that people can change. You have to believe that this world can change, that God's will will be done. And let us all recall that the darkest day in history, Jesus' death on the cross, was also the greatest day in history. And those three days when the apostles thought everything, all hope, all peace, all security, all justice, was gone, it wasn't true. God brought joy, security, and peace in the resurrection of Jesus. And we might feel like the darkness is winning and overtaking us, but it's not true. God has the joy, security, and peace we need. Look to him for them all. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we pray for all the victims of tragedies in our lives, um, in the whole world. Um, the fact that at times it can seem like this world is, is getting worse, but we know and we pray that uh, we can focus on you alone, not in the security that we build in our lives, not for the joy of fleeing things, um, and not even for just the peace of our own families, but for the peace of the whole world. And we know that you can bring it through the gospel. And we pray that we go out today spreading the good news, spreading the glorious news of your gospel, that Jesus died on the cross to save us for our sins so that we may be in relationship with you. We thank you for all you've done, and we continue to ask that you bless, protect us, and watch over us. In your name, amen.